Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Scott McNeil, CEO of Pep Lending. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast? This helps us get more listeners, and it literally means the world to me. I read every single review. Thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Scott McNeil is chairman and CEO of Performance Equity Partners, Inc., a chattel lender serving the manufactured housing industry across 16 different states. In 2007, a group of bank officers wanted to continue the MH Chattel program when it was announced that the bank was being sold to a larger institution that no longer wanted it. They formed a mobile home sales finance corporation in June of 2007 that purchased the existing manufactured housing loan portfolios. To date, over $160 million in contracts have been processed by the PEP lending team. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Would you mind starting out by just sharing your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing chattel lending? Yeah, absolutely. Out of law school, I applied at a local bank in my hometown that was hiring and they hired me and and they were busy in the manufactured housing industry at that time and also commercial lending. And I joined the commercial team and also had some involvement with manufactured housing as well. The bank was busy buying paper from some other originators out there in the industry. And everything was going great at the bank until the majority owner received an absolutely fabulous offer to sell the bank. And that was in 2007, as you mentioned, actually the highest multiple ever paid for a bank in the state of Illinois in an all cash deal. And so he couldn't say no. And uh, we sold out to Citizens, which is owned by Royal Bank of Scotland. And as you pointed out, the channel lending and the consumer lending division they have was of no interest to the bank acquiring us. So five of uh, my coworkers formed Performance Equity Partners, and they brought over all the employees that were going to be out of jobs anyway. And uh, it was a good thing, and they've been running it separately ever since. And I went off and continued commercial lending and then rejoined PEP about four years ago. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, what changes have gone on at PEP since 2007 with what 21st Mortgage has done with the chattel lending space. I'm curious, you know, how things have changed since 2007 when PEP got started. Sure. When we originally started, we were in three states right around in the Great Lakes region. We've since expanded to over 16 states. We continue to expand. We go where the business takes us. So if we're working with a community owner, and things are going great from their perspective and from ours. And they say, hey, we just bought a new community in, in this state. Uh, we'd love to use the program. So we'll research the laws and get licensed up as quickly as we can. 
so we can follow the business wherever it takes us. Some of the other things we've improved over times over time is we've really loosened up the criteria that we use to underwrite files. So we have what I consider the lowest down payment requirement in the industry, which is 3% minimum down payment. And that originally started at about 10% and was dropped over time to where it is currently. So that's one of the, the big added features. Uh, we don't have limits on the age of units. So we'll do new units, used units. We'll even do pre-HUD units, which we don't see those too often anymore. We used to see a decent number of those, but uh, I think community owners have kind of scrapped those in favor of newer product. But we we try to uh, make the program evolve and get better and meet the needs of the community owners as time goes by. That's great. And, and in the beginning stages, did you require the community owners to sign on the loans as well? Has, it, has that always been a feature? That has always been a feature. So our program is a recourse program. And the interesting thing about channel lending is there's not a whole lot of companies out there. I think a lot of your listeners will know the, the 800-pound gorillas that are out there. And then there's a number of smaller shops similar to ours that work more in a regional manner, sure. but everybody does it a little bit differently. So even if it's a recourse program, there seems to be a wide variety of how the recourse works, et cetera. And I do still tout us as having the, the most liberal terms in terms of qualifying individual applicants and underwriting people on an individual basis. That's interesting. What what would you say your approval rate is for applicants? Like what percent of, of loan applicants get approved? So we approve about 50% of all the applications that we see. Other people aren't going to qualify for a variety of reasons, but a big reason would be the debt to income ratio is just simply too high. We max out at 43% debt to income ratio. And a lot of people just don't meet that because they have too much debt or not enough income. We'll also see issues where people have just too much other consumer debt or uh, simply not enough credit, although we have a variety of tools where we can overcome the lack of credit in certain situations. Okay, very cool. And what trends are you seeing right now in the quality of borrowers or applicants you know, today versus say 18 months ago? Sure. So COVID was an interesting time, obviously for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but uh, a lot of people took time off from the workforce and then they jumped back in. So job gaps was a hurdle that we had to overcome. And I think we were able to do that in the majority of situations. So we we really didn't penalize people if they weren't working for a period of time due to the pandemic. So that was a big change that we saw. Although oddly, there was a lot of home buying activity during that period. And we saw people that had a lot of cash in their pockets and were looking at the opportunity to, to move into home ownership. So it was uh, 2020, 2021, later in those years, we were extremely busy with uh, people buying homes during that time. That's fantastic. I guess just at, as a, at a macro level, like what don't, 
what don't we know, right? As as investors in mobile home communities, operators, what's like, you know, some of the top things that we don't know about MH chattel lending that that maybe we should? Yeah, I think the bottom line there, Andrew, is you sort of have to follow the money and know that somebody has to finance almost everything in our yeah. lives, especially people that are in the real estate business. So the real estate gets financed by a certain type of lender. And there's a variety of lenders for the type of asset class that it is. And then as the asset matures, maybe it's ripe for CMBS or agency financing. So it kind of evolves and matures that way. And chattel lending is kind of the same way. So we're putting a lot of people into homes that otherwise would never be able to attain home ownership. Uh, they can't qualify for a stick-built home mortgage through Fannie, Freddie, or even HUD. There may be another chattel lending product out there, but again, we have the most flexible terms in the industry. So if they're not able to get a loan through us, they're probably not achieving that home ownership dream. And the community owner then, as a result, is forced to either rent those units or sit on them and wait until a uh, a better qualified applicant comes along, which could be a long holding period. Definitely. So we're a solution at the end of the day in terms of financing. No, yeah, I love that. Yeah, adding getting people to to own the homes, I think, is such a such a mission driven you know business model because you know they can build equity and, and instead of just you know becoming this renter nation, which we seem to be leaning towards. Maybe tell us a little bit more about PEP lending and why it's a good fit for you know MHP operators. Obviously, the the flexible terms are great. You know the the approval yeah. rate is is positive. What else don't we know that we should? Yeah, we're the absolute uh, best solution for park owned homes and selling off any sort of home inventory you have in your community. So if you're following the model of a land lease community where you don't want to own homes, you don't want to have 50 park-owned homes with 50 roofs, 50 furnaces, 100 toilets, all that stuff that you've got to fix. You want to get rid of it? You need somebody like us. You need a channel lender because if you don't use us, you're going to be financing it yourself. You have to be licensed to do that. And it also eats up a lot of capital and it also eats up a lot of uh, human capital in terms of servicing those loans, et cetera. So we've helped countless community owners really build a ton of value in their communities by helping them sell off that inventory. And uh, if you have park-owned homes or you're going to do an infill plan and bring in some new and used homes, it works with our program either way. And um, it's really, it comes down to the community owner wanting to have to sell those units and putting on a good sales campaign. And then we do the rest. So we come in with terms that are very easy to qualify folks. And the recourse part, it's how we've modeled it out. But on the other hand, if you don't have recourse with us, what's the alternative? The park owner is probably financing those people on some sort of LTO contract. And they've got the risk at the end of the day any, anyway. So you might as well have a uh, contingency type risk with us uh, on a buyback for a recourse guarantee versus having all the upfront risk as well. Yeah, that's interesting. What are the typical terms, Scott, you know, for a for an end user right now? It's, you know, November sure. 2023. Rates are pretty high. 
on any type of housing. What does it look like for for MH? Yep. So rates right now, we've we've been going up, maybe not as abruptly as some of the other rates you've seen. We're pricing rates every week and somewhere between 13 and 15% right now on average. And before rates really got out of hand a year and a half ago, we were pricing more like 10 to 12%. Mm. And keep in mind across our, our average borrower, if you will, you know, these are people that have some, perhaps some credit challenges in, in their background. They're at the lower end of the wage earning spectrum. These are people that don't have 10 to 15% to put down on a home. Our average loan size is about $30,000. So, so the home is selling for thirty to thirty-five, maybe $40,000. We'll go up to a $75,000 loan amount and down to a minimum of 7500 but on average it's in that 25 to 30,000 dollar range and we can amortize those payments up to 25 years but on average we try to keep it as short as possible so more like 10 to 12 years on average gotcha and, and, and how do you value these you know do you use NADA values do you get an appraisal how do you value these yeah, great question. And short answer, we don't use appraisals. So community owners can price the units however they like. The borrower just has to be able to afford to repay the loan based on the rate and terms. So because we don't require appraisals, we can close deals very, very quickly. We could even approve an applicant on a Monday and potentially close them on a Friday. So it moves wow. really, really quickly. Again, home the uh, community owners can price the units however they like. Okay, what's the typical timeline to get someone approved? So we tell our community owners we'll get them some kind of a response, generally within 24 hours or less. It may be a conditional approval, but by that time, we would have pulled credit. We'd look at whatever income documents were submitted with the application. And if we needed more information, we'd attempt to reach out to the applicant and or community manager who took the application with them to, to see what else we might need. But our goal is 24 hours. Wow. So it's realistic to close one of these loans and say, you know, three weeks. Absolutely. Yep. If the home is ready, it could be less than that. Wow. That's great. What's the typical default rate, you know, on, on your portfolio? So we track delinquencies of 60 days and older and that's generally somewhere between three and four percent on a monthly basis. Uh, another question we get asked quite a bit is on the recourse guarantee, mm -hmm. and we track that as well. And on an annual basis, we see about six percent of our portfolio gets repaid on a recourse guarantee basis. So it pays to play the percentages. If you're a community owner and we're only going to do a few loans with you, one goes bad, that's going to be a, uh, a abnormally high default rate. But if they've got a big community, big infill plan, and we're closing 10 to 20 plus loans in a year, then it should follow the averages. And we think that's pretty low, 6%. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad at all. Which states, Scott, you know, would you say have the highest default rates on these manufactured housing chattel loans? So we don't track that specifically by state. We've noticed everything 
more or less behaves on average that we've been tracking over the company's history. So we haven't really seen any sort of spikes. Um, sometimes a sub-market may see some stress because a large employer has maybe shut down, but the economy's been very strong the, of years of late. So uh, we haven't really even seen too much of that activity either. That's interesting. I'm on a uh, a repo list of you know buying. I'm able to buy like from with dealers to buy you know mobile homes that are being repossessed. And sure. month over month, I get this sheet sent to me, and it's two states out of all of them that have the most you know lo like loan defaults, and it's Alabama and Mississippi month after month. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interesting. Just curious, have you seen anything similar from those states? You know, why why do you think that would be? I may not have seen it because we're not licensed in those states. Mm, okay, uh, we're we're in, in Texas, so on our website we've got a, a map on our brochure of the states we cover. But it's generally Minnesota down to Texas, east to Ohio, and west to Utah. Sort of a big cross shape through the U.S. And uh, we're always looking to add states as our community owners need us. So I'm not sure why there's a spike in those states, but I have a feeling maybe some of those areas were high growth for a while. And maybe some of the larger employers maybe pulled back a little bit. Could be one reason. Sure, sure. Scott, what mistakes have you seen some MHP operators make, if at all? So the biggest mistake we've seen, and it's not really a mistake, but they'll see a podcast like this and, and listen to it and get all excited about chattel ending and say, that's a great idea. I need to have a chattel lender. I need to sell my park-owned homes. And they call me and we go through the whole rigmarole. And we get them signed up and then we never see a single application. So, <laughs> so they sort of stall out, not sure why. Maybe they're not doing it full-time. Maybe it's a weekend hobby park kind of a thing. But for whatever reason, you know, there is still some work on the community owner as part of this process. We try to make it as easy as possible. And our loan officers are trained to chase as much paper as they can and do as much as they can uh, so the, the owners of the park can really leverage our people and not have to hire their own people. But mm -hmm. We do have a fair number of people that they go through the whole process, we get them signed up, and then we never see or hear from them again. And uh, and I think it, it's probably, parks. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, you know, applicants coming in and then they, you know, they have bad credit or, you know, this, that, or the other. I guess what's like your minimum credit score? And and I mean, we talked about the, the debt to income ratio thing, but you know what if you're if you have a new applicant come in and you know how do you qualify them quickly to see if they would be a good fit for approval sure so we get a application it's a very simple one page application somebody could fill it out in 5 minutes so again trying to keep the whole process simple everybody has a credit report pulled on them we actually stopped pulling reports that had any sort of score on them because a score was basically just a summary of all the accounts on the bureau anyway. And our underwriters are trained to go through every single account and analyze it. So bottom line, we don't have a minimum credit score. 
And we're actually looking at every account and seeing how it's been paid. Now, within that, people may have had a credit hiccup. They may have even had a bankruptcy in the past. But what's more important and what we weigh more heavily is if they've had some good credit that's been established in the last couple of years. So they had a BK four or five years ago. Okay. But now they've got two car loans and they've got a couple of credit cards and they've had those out there for 24 to 36 months paying on it perfectly. That would absolutely be an approval assuming the income checks out as well. But we're also, we're able to really analyze and dig deep on the credit reports in order to approve people because we know we're not working with seven, 800 FICO scores here. You know, these are people that if they were being scored probably have in the 600s, maybe sometimes even a little bit lower, but bottom line, no minimum credit score. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. What's the biggest threat to mobile home park owners you know, using a program like yours with the chattel lending? Biggest threat? You know, it may be uh, if you grow really fast. Uh, we've seen programs where people are just really, really burning and turning through a community. I'm talking selling 10 homes a month and we're doing tons of loans and then they get it full after 12 months because they're moving so quickly. Well, then all those people, all those loans were put on the books at the same time and it kind of marches along lockstep, you know, as time goes by, as the portfolio gets seasoned. So sometimes you'll see, oh, in the 30 to 36 month, people tend to uh, sometimes fall out of a contract. So if you've put on a ton of loans all at the same time, they could all fall out at some point down the road together. But that's really the only thing I've seen where there's any sort of, um, you know, real downside, in my opinion. But if you're going on evenly and, and moving along and maybe it's a two or three year infill project, you know, then you're playing the percentages and the averages should work out in everybody's favor. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good good perspective, Scott. From your perspective, if you were going to invest passively into like a mobile home park syndication or into like a mobile home park investment fund, what do you think would be the top things you would want to know or look out for knowing what you know about manufactured housing? Yeah, for sure. And I invest on the side as well. Also, I'm interested in these things. So bottom line, I think, is the return. How much cash am I putting in? What's my return? What's the investment strategy? Is it a current return of cash? Or are we building up the community to flip it to a bigger player in three to five years? What's that investment horizon look like? Kind of what's the uh, infill plan? What's the turnaround plan? Does the sponsor have the uh, the people and and the history and the experience to be able to implement that plan? There's lots of communities out there. They're 50, 60% occupied. Somebody wants to buy it, fill it up so it's 90% plus occupied so they can flip it to agency financing. Um, you know, great plan, but how are you going to get there from point A to point B? Uh, you need the real estate lender. For the park, you need the channel lender. You probably need a line of credit to get the homes there and set up, et cetera. 
So there's a number of different moving parts that really have to come in to to make the plan come together, as they used to say on the A-team. So (laughs) there's a lot of moving parts, and I think it comes down really to the experience of the sponsor. Tons of money to be made in mobile home parks for sure, uh, but it's all it's all on the uh, is making the plan come together. Definitely, definitely. Um, one thing that I was just thinking of because you guys are based in Illinois, you know, we stopped targeting Illinois a while back just because of some of the the blue politics and the you know uh, more tenant friendly laws. I'm curious if you have anything you know based on running you know, your business out of Illinois, if there's anything that you've noticed that maybe is it's a little bit extra regulation compared to running the business, you know, say in another state. Sure. Um, I'd say generally it's probably a disadvantage just based on some of the tax structures that are out there. A lot of the communities we're working with are not in Cook County, which is the biggest county in Illinois, encompasses Chicago and a whole lot of other cities there. That's where a lot of the uh, negative publicity comes from, I believe. But there's lots and lots of counties and jurisdictions downstate that have their own taxing authority and uh, have their own judicial systems, court systems set up. So um, probably not as bad as what you've heard about that is the news that comes out of Cook County. But I'm sure there's other states that are probably great to do business with no matter where you go in that state. Um, but there's certainly parts of Illinois where it's still profitable and, and easy to do business. Lots of rural downstate areas uh, with lots of manufactured home communities. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. If any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you or Pep Lending, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Yep, absolutely. They can call me directly, which is 708-253-6010, or go to our website. It's peplending.com. That's peplending.com. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show. You're welcome, Andrew. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at PassiveMHPInvesting on Instagram. See you there.